it's perfectly fine to ask for reassurance, but the question then is, what are you going to do when you have that reassurance? There you go. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. I have with me today Eric. Hey there. And we've got Tracy. Morning. We have Karen. Hello. Good morning. Well, we have officially gotten through the Thanksgiving holiday now. Is everybody all decorated for Christmas? Have you started yet? No, but I'm fat. <laughs> I've seen you, Karen. That is that's not even that's not even an option. I'm, like I'm still full from Thursday. I can't walk. <laughs> that, I believe, but uh, the wa- not walking part, I don't know about that. But yeah, our second up, we had to put up a pre early because we had to take a photograph of our family. <laughs> oh, yes, the yearly photo. Yearly photo. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Eric's family, because Eric is a photographer, they do the greatest Christmas cards ever. And if you've ever gotten a chance to see it, and if, if Eric okays it, I'll share it on the on the. On the yeah, Facebook we can, page. We can, once it's once it's made public, we can uh, we can do that. We can put it out yeah. there for folks because it's they they are phenomenal. They are so good. Well, uh, I don't over don't over don't over hype it here. You haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, for in the past, they've Jesus. been amazing. This year's is going to suck. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tracy? You guys started yet? We have not. We have have the uh, plans to do it on Sunday. Nice. Nice. We we started putting ours up early last year too because my wife was going through had just been diagnosed with uh, breast cancer last year, and we just decided you know what we're going to make the season a little bit easier. So we put it up the week before Thanksgiving, and that was so awesome because it just it just kind of smoothed out the rest of everything. So we did it again. Ours has been up for a week now already. So uh, of course by the time people are hearing this, it's going to be a couple weeks after Thanksgiving, but. Just as we move into the season, you know, and things start to change and, you know, the landscape starts to look different with all the everybody's lights on their houses and stuff. It's just I, I love it. I love it so much. Because like right now, even I'm looking out my front window and the people across the street, they have a little tree on their front porch. It's all lit up and I can it just uh, even the simplest little displays just just spark a little thing of joy in my heart. And um, and I love it. And. If you don't like it, well, then that's uh, that's your that's your that's your bad. So. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> well, let's get back into our into our discussion here. Last week we finished off talking about the judge Deborah. We're in the book of Judges. We're going to start with chapter six, but last week we finished off with the judge Deborah and how she helped to rid Israel of some Canaanites that were trying to take over and. She kind of had to step in because the guy who was assigned to to run the army didn't want to go without her. And so she stepped in, helped out with that and help of another woman named J.L. They uh, they they got rid of that little problem. But as soon as Deborah is out of the picture, the very next thing, starting in chapter six, tells us that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is a recurring theme that we're going to see over and over and over that it's like as while they have a, a hand directly over them, somebody specifically to tell them what to do, they seem to do OK. 
they'll have years and years of peace and then as soon as that person is gone they go right back into their old habits not even old habits they just start picking up the bad habits of the people around them if you remember they were supposed to have cleared the area of these of these people and and their influence and they didn't manage to get that done and so they constantly have this influence of idolatry and different worship and all these different gods and it's just a cycle they go through over and over again where they start picking up these things and as they do you see that god's hand starts to withdraw protection from them and it's no different here because the midianites have moved in and started to oppress israel idiot midianites amalekites we keep hearing that name come back people of the east it says they come in and they I don't know if they destroy the produce or if they just take it all. Israel grows it, and then these guys come in and they take it. They, their livestock eats it up, and they just leave nothing for Israel. And it gets so bad, finally, that Israel says, Israel cried out to the Lord. And like I said, there's, this, there's the cycle. Things get bad. People start going, why is everything so bad? And then they start realizing that they've needed to, um, well, that they've been looking in the wrong direction all this time. And God sends this prophet to remind them. And I kind of like the way he puts this. He's like, you guys, I brought you out of Egypt and I told you not to turn to these other gods, but you haven't obeyed me. And that's why things are going bad for you. you should, is that kind of the way you guys have seen this too? Yeah. I just did some really super quick math here <clears throat> about this cycles of doing doing good and then doing wrong and then doing good and then doing wrong. And I, I'm sure I don't have all of them because there are there are moments here but in 311 i guess one of the things that struck me this week is that they did have peace you know i guess you know, I, I did a um once upon a time i did a uh, master's in creative writing master's in english and i tried writing about just kind of mundane things and and people were like we don't want to hear about that we want to hear about the highlights of a thing give us the action parts and I realized, yes, that's true, because if, if I came into the office and I said, hey, guys, guess what happened on the way to work? And they say, what? And I say, nothing. <laughs> Pretty soon, nobody wants to listen to my stories. And so they're recording the stories of what actually happened. My point in that is this, is that while Caleb was and Joshua were alive, they had good times. And, and years and years and years of good times. And then in 311, we have... Uh, uh, let's see. So the land, this is after Othiniel, and the land had rest for 40 years. And then in 330, after Ehud, the land had rest 80 years. And in 531, after Deborah and Barak, the land had rest another 40 years. And then we, that takes us right into chapter 6. My point is, that's 160 years of peace, plus the years that they had, you know, that they had... Um, that they were oppressed by people, which depending on which period that was, sometimes it was seven years, sometimes it was 18 years. My point is this, is it would seem like it was just yesterday where these people had come from, and yet it wasn't. We're, we're pushing shy of 200 years. You know, we live in the United States, and we gained our independence, what, 250-ish years ago, 240 years ago. That's a long time ago, and man, think of how much we don't know about what our what our um, 
as, as, as it's called, founding fathers really wrote and, and um, talked about. My point is simply this, is that it is easy to lose sight of where you came from. It, it happens. And these the Israelites, now they were supposed to have systems to keep them on track. They were supposed to have Levites all through things. They were supposed to have their... I did some reading outside of this, and one of the chapters in the book that I was reading talked about the annual feasts. And we've talked about that in Leviticus, that if they had done these things faithfully, three times a year they would have been reminded of God's interference for them. Every seven years they would have had the, the year of, um, the small year of, was it called Jubilee every seven years? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And then there's the big one every 49 years. They would have been reminded. I don't think they were doing that. And then they lost sight of it. My point is simply this, is that they did have rest. They did have blessings. They did have good things happen. I'm sure that they had bad that people would trip and fall and break their arm and stuff like that, even in the middle of the good times, right? Sure. But they weren't oppressed by foreigners. And this idea that they forgot, I'm not saying we need to cut them total like, oh, I totally get it. But I think we should hold up a mirror as we say to them, how could you guys forget? Because... We forget, too, and when they forgot, they did it big. I mean, they didn't go part way. They went big. They they went all out, and they, I think somewhere in here, didn't it say they were even offering their children to uh, to these gods? It was in our reading. I don't know that it was before Midian, but, um, uh, or, or Gideon, but um, my point is, is that they went through these cycles. Sometimes they were long cycles, and if we we're going to learn something from them, it would be, for us to say, man, what are we doing on a regular basis to remind us of where our strength is? Because Gideon asked that question. He gets to, he gets to in 13, 613, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Mm-hmm. And he yeah, seems that's... to be genuine. Yeah, and that's a common question. I think we still hear today. That's People my like, point. Like, why if... I hear this all the time, and it honestly was one of the one of the inspirations for me doing the podcast here. People all the time, if God is out there, why does so much bad stuff happen to us all the time? Yes. You know, and here we kind of get that answer: is that well, because you keep pulling away, and as you by pulling away, you're showing you don't want to be under God's influence. And when you're not under God's influence, that's when this stuff starts creeping in so, okay <clears throat> Tracy. i was just gonna say something but i think tracy beat me to it there i, I know i i found my uh raise your hand button. And, and Courtesy you know, button um you know i was thinking about it the same way because i think too you know even looking at this and how it starts out is that you know I've, i think we forget that midian there was a connection there you would just and and apparently that relationship deteriorated to the point of them being at war. But I think too, that we, we can look at it as God was using another country, another thing to help with that, with this, I guess, maybe growth process that they were going through that, you know, they were repeating this over and over that, you know, he used that to that point. But I think too, we, you know, looking at it, they really oppressed them at this point, you know, cause I look at, I was doing some additional reading too, and you know when you look at how we get introduced to um, Gideon, is that 
they find him threshing wheat on the wine press, which the part that I was reading said that wasn't ordinarily what they did. He was basically hiding out to do this because they were so oppressed there and they were taking their food, they're monitoring their food, you know, how much they had to, they were being taxed on this. And so he was basically sneaking for food. Mm -hmm. So it's like, that's where they were at this point. That's how far they had, they had gone and how much they were being oppressed by the Midianites. Yeah. When, so the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and he greets Gideon in an interesting way. He says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And when you read later, just a few verses later about how Gideon thinks of himself, he says, wow, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm from, how did he put it? I'm from the weakest clan in Manasseh, and I'm the <laughs> least in my father's house. Yeah. So, and I'm I mean, hanging out in a wine press, making food. Hiding out in a wine press, and God is calling him this man of valor. And that should, be a, that should be a little clue to us, that the way we see ourselves is not necessarily the way God sees us. God sees more potential in us than we often see in ourselves. And and I think that's the thing here. I mean, he's already calling him man of valor, knowing knowing that Gideon is going to accomplish some pretty great things here. Well, to be to be fair, Gideon, I think, might have had some personal issues because later. Well, I, I don't want to spoil it, but later he has a conversation with like the 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 enemy that he's chasing. And they they tell him that they killed all of his brothers, basically. Yeah. But, yep. but they don't say, we killed all your brothers. They say, well, you know, we killed some people. And he and he says, well, what did they look like? And he says, like you, they had the bearing of princes. Okay, so Gideon might have had some insecurity issues. Yeah, yeah. But what I was going to say, what I was thinking earlier when you were talking about, like, like the big trends of the Israelites and the time that lapsed and how they would wander. Whenever I hear this, I think of that text that says... Um, that that these people have the form of godliness, but they deny the power. Mm-hmm. And what that means to me when I hear stories like this is not so much that at any point the Israelites thought to themselves, you know what? I think I'm going to turn away from the God who made me and that saved my nation and that I know I'm supposed to worship. And I'm going to intentionally do something to sabotage that. Most people, I think, most people are so engrossed in their own life and their own experience and their own point of view that they simply lose track of what they should be doing and it becomes diluted with what they want to be doing or what's convenient or what's right in front of them and grabs their attention. I think there are so many generations of humanity who have thought themselves Christian and have no idea how badly they're missing the mark simply be by being distracted. And by their distraction, I would say paying homage to the things that are right in front of them. And if you go to the New Testament, there's a story where there, there's actually a couple of different places where it becomes very clear that the, that the people, like when, that when God comes, there's going to be scads of people that are like, but, but Lord, like we did, we did all these things in your name. Like, why aren't we, 
why aren't we why aren't we going into heaven like not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven right 721 there's, there's, yeah there's these there's these examples and so i think i think that a human fall away from God as a nation, as a community, as a family, as an individual, which all takes different forms. But I think that a human fall away from God has a lot more to do with being distracted and diluted than it does going, you know what? I don't think I believe in that God anymore. I think I'm going to go over here and do this. That's what I think. hundred percent. A hundred percent. A thousand. I know that you can't say that, but... Um, <laughs> I think Karen's absolutely spot on that, that they that these people didn't feel and we'll see this in the story, which is really interesting. Gideon gets called and we'll get back to that story. But this goes to Karen's point is that Gideon is asking these questions. Hey, if God's for us, how come we have all this trouble? And the angel doesn't really answer that in, in specifically. He just says, hey, I'm going to. You know, I'm going to, to to work with you, and we find that Gideon's father and town have made a bail, have made an altar, and one of the first things Gideon is supposed to do is knock this thing down and and uh, destroy it. Basically, reformation begins at home, and Gideon's own home was apparently the leading force of corruption in his town, and. And so, yeah, do, do, do they, did they set out to be intentional? Like, oh, we're going to deny that there's a God at all. No, they, they misdirected that and they kind of did their own thing. And so I, that is to say, I absolutely completely agree with Karen. That's what we do. We don't say, oh, um, I'm anti-God. I'm anti-Christian. But at the same time, some of the things that we do are not actually in line with God. And unless that sounds like crazy talk, who was it that led out in the crucifixion of Jesus? It was the religious folks. Mm -hmm. Right there. So is this possible? Yes, it's possible. And in fact, it's inevitable that this gets confused with with people. Uh, so anyways, yeah, yeah, 100%, Karen. Well, it's interesting we hear Gideon. Gideon likes to ask for signs. We get some pretty cool ones here. But, I mean, first of all, you know, God is saying, I'm going to be with you and you're going to defeat the Gideonites or the not the Gideonites. <laughs> the Midianites. There you go. The Midianites. It rhymes. It's the same. You know. Yeah, you go. I'm close. You're going to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon says, uh, well, uh, I'd like to sign, Lord. And he runs off. He says, wait, don't go anywhere. And uh, he brings this off, brings an offering, prepares it, sets it on a rock. And it says the angel of the Lord brings fire from the rock and it consumes the offering, which would be kind of cool to see. And then he and then he just disappears. It's like makes this thing happen. Fire comes out of the rock, consumes the offering, and then the angel just disappears. And <laughs> Gideon freaks out like I think, well, I know I probably would. And um, but he's free. The reason he's speaking out is because I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face and. I think we can equate that with being like, I saw, I just saw God face to face. But then God comes and tells him, I'm assuming audibly or, you know, in his head, don't worry, I'm not, you're not going to die. But I've got something for you to do. Okay, before we, you, move on, before we move on, I just wanted to say this, because this shows up later, is that 
and it, and, it, and it escaped me the first time that I read this. Essentially what happens is Gideon brings a sacrifice and he puts it out and the angel accepts this sacrifice and heavenly fire burns it up. This is exactly what happens when they consecrate the temple in the desert, mm-hmm. remember? Right. This makes an impression on Gideon and he, at this point, it plants a seed that now he is a priest because he has offered a sacrifice to God and he builds an altar right here in 24 and he gets to thinking, yeah, not only am I a warrior, but I am a priest of God. That comes mm. back in a bad way later. Yes. Yeah, because he's definitely not a Levite like we just talked he's, about. He's, he's not he's a Levite. And this is not in the place where God has said, you will worship me. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Let's move ahead. Yeah, but God gives him this task, like like uh, Eric said before, his his father has a uh, an altar to Baal set up, and God tells Gideon, "I want you to go tear down your dad's Baal altar. I want you to cut down the image beside it. I want you to build a new altar. I want you to sacrifice your dad's bull and burn it on the wood from the idol." That's a pretty bold thing to do right there in the middle of town. And, um, <laughs> well, Gideon does it, but he's like, okay, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to, I'm going to sneak in at night and do it. But he does it. And he, he destroys the altar. And, uh, I mean, this is, this is God making no, taking no qualms in, in being insulting towards this other religion. Now, I'm not saying that we, we personally should take this as a, as an opportunity for us to go out and find ways to insult uh, people of other faiths. But at the same time, I do think it is kind of a call for us to be bold in our faith. But Gideon destroys this altar. And the, the apparently, even though he tried to hide it, all the men of the city still know who did it. And they want to kill for it. But then Joash, who is Gideon's father, he comes to Gideon's uh, defense here and actually speaks a little bit of wisdom he's like well hey no stop let's let Baal fight his own fight if he's actually a god so it sounds to me a bit like having that altar torn down was a little bit of a wake-up call for Gideon's dad to where he could say well okay if he really was so great he would have he would have protected his own stuff here and not uh, not let this happen and yeah. from there on, he starts calling Gideon Jerubael, which means Baal will contend. Midianites and Malachites start to gather, and Gideon calls together a bunch of guys. He says he calls them Abizarites, Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali to go up against these guys. But before he's ready to go into battle, he wants a sign from God. And this is one of the famous stories of the Bible. You've probably heard it before. He asked for God. Even hmm? if you haven't heard it, you've heard the expression, but you might not know what it means to put a fleece out. Well, yeah, yeah, put the fleece out. Where and that's what, mm-hmm. So what he asked God to do is like, okay, I'm going to lay this fleece on the ground. It's not explicitly said this way, but I'm going to lay this fleece on the ground. And in the morning, I would like for you to put dew only on the fleece, but keep the ground around completely dry. 
now, if you've ever looked outside in the morning and if there's dew on the ground or like I'm looking out my window right now and there's frost on the grass and there's frost on the cars and there's frost on the trees and and everywhere, you know that this is asking for quite a lot for dew only to end up on this sheepskin. Um, and he, But he asked for that and he, it's granted. He gets up the next morning and he's got this wet fleece and dry ground. But that's not enough for Gideon. He really likes his signs. He's like, well, I'm gonna, I want to be, okay, I've already, I've already gotten the sign that I was God I was talking to before, and now I want to get the sign that uh, I'm supposed to do this, but I want to be really, really sure. She says, okay, God, that was really cool. Let me ask you for one more thing. Let's do the opposite now. Let's keep the fleece dry and everything else around it be wet. And it's granted to him. He gets he gets a dry fleece and the ground is covered in dew. So I guess that's enough for Gideon because he doesn't ask for any more signs after this. And he just uh, he just moves forward. Now, Judges seven, we we get into another cool story here where, you know, we talk about how Gideon has amassed this huge army. It sounds like about. Thirty two thirty two thousand men that he's gotten together to go up against um, these invading forces. And God says, mm, no, that's too many. I don't want you guys thinking that this is your victory. This is going to be my victory. Mm-hmm. So what I want you to do is just go out there and tell everybody if you're afraid, you can go home. And this, this and, starts in Deuteronomy 20. We've read through this. This was a, apparently a tradition with the Jewish uh, military to go out there and say, hey, you know, if you got this, if you've got a bought a farm and haven't you haven't uh, you know gotten your first harvest, go home. If you've gotten married, but you just you're a newlywed, you can go home. And so he goes out and does this. Now remember that even with the thirty two thousand, every time the Midianites are referred to earlier, it's like the sand of the seashore. It's mm-hmm. like described as their millions. You can't even count their camels, let alone everybody else. And so 32,000 wasn't too many in that case. And now we begin this really interesting process. Yeah. So when he says that all everybody who's afraid can go, 22,000 guys pick up and leave. They're like, I'm out. <laughs> I got to admit, I'd probably be one of them. You know, I don't, I don't want to go. I don't feel like going and fighting with swords. I mean. That's, I mean, that's some brutal warfare. This is, the same, this is the same nation that has them so afraid that they're living in in clefts of the rock. And like this, mm-hmm. this is, they're going up against their oppressors. Yeah. And their oppressors are down on them, like thumb hard, like you're not moving. Mm-hmm. And you know, so we're, go ahead. Just with any, you know, going into war that, you know, fear is one of those common things that you have and. Yeah, it didn't surprise me that so many people were like, I'm out. Yeah, so we're left now with 10,000 men. 32,000 was too many. Now we have 10,000. And God goes, mm, that's too many. <laughs> that's too many. So he comes with this, to me, in my mind, it's just like this bizarre way to, uh, to, to separate, pair the men down even more. Take the men to go get a drink. I guess from a stream or a watering hole or whatever. And uh, according to the way they drink the water, we're going to separate them out. 
And I'm going to point this out that this, that they did not know at the time they were undergoing a test, mm-hmm. but they were. And I think it's not too much of a stretch. I'm going to propose that there are times that we are going through tests and we don't know it. And just this week, because of this reading and because of this text, it actually occurred to me, it's like, well, if this moment in time were a test for me, how would I want that to be scored? What would I want to be found doing? And I must admit, it really changed for me my outlook on what things are. What, what am I going to do? What's, what's the test here for me? And we're, we're called to these things at different points in our life. And sometimes the test is so subtle, we don't even know we're going through it. Sometimes I think we get a feeling like, oh, this is a real thing. And we're, we're, we're aware of this. Now, militarily, this test that they had was not actually totally random. Because what happens is they're getting ready to do hand-to-hand combat here with these people. And then you've got, you've got um, I did the math here, you've got 9,700 of them <laughs> kneel down. If you're, if you're getting a drink out of a stream and you're on your hands and knees and your butt's in the air and your nose is in the water, what kind of defensive position is that? Compared <laughs> yeah. to the guys who are going through the stream, who are waiting, and their head's up, and they cup the water into their hands, and they're drinking it while they're looking around. Well, which ones are the ones who are, like, ready? Yeah, paying attention, aware of their surroundings. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I just had a vision of my head. You know, the times when you're, like, walking through a store, and you're behind somebody, and they have no idea you're there. Yes. They they're constantly stopping. They're walking very slowly, taking up the entire aisle. They're just completely oblivious to what's going on around them, you know. Or they back up into you. I can kind of see these would be people. These would be the people who are stick are sticking their face in the water for a drink. <laughs> that, so that actually that makes more sense to me now because I was kind of, I was going to ask is like why why this but that makes total sense now. Yeah, it's in verse five. Those who kneel down to drink mm-hmm. because really that's not a super offensive not even a defensive position it's it's just a pretty vulnerable position to be in and i think you know this this was this showed who they were i don't think god made them do this but they showed who they were in that moment and they they go through and they're selected out now as we're reading through this and we're talking about this this is a question that i had and i don't have the answer to this they they shout later spoiler alert the sword of the lord thing but did any of these guys have swords? Because it sounds like they got their hands full with like a pitcher and a trumpet and mm-hmm. a torch. I, maybe they had swords on their sides. Oh. I don't know. But it doesn't. Even, it's not even mentioned that that's what they leaned on. Like that wasn't their thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought yeah. I noticed that too. I had noticed that. Yeah. Well, they've gotten pared down to now three hundred men. Um. It reminded me of another 300. People might be familiar with the story of the 300 Spartans. If you're familiar with that story, there's a movie put out a few years ago. Other than being, you know, a little dramatized, it was fairly accurate to the history of the story. That was 300 guys who held off thousands in this tiny little pass. Amazing. Yeah, amazing story. If you have an opportunity to look up a documentary of it or 
I don't know. Maybe you want to watch the movie. I don't know. It's it's pretty violent. It's a really violent movie. But uh, the story is so is so amazing. But if you know that story, you know that this one isn't that all that. Um, the idea of it isn't unheard of that three three hundred men could hold off thousands. Um, but it's a different okay. it's a different thing. Go ahead. I would actually disagree with that. Okay. Those those three hundred were operating on human strength. Well, yes. So they capitalized on the land structure to find right. the most defensible position. These people, like this, the Midian army was camped out where they would all fit. Like mm-hmm. there's no natural bottleneck. These yeah. guys took <laughs> guys with the aid of God, took the battle to the Midianites and God made it work. Yeah. And that's why the, that's why Gideon's afraid. And there's a, re- I think this is just really cool. Gideon is, Matt, you've mentioned this several times. He's, for as amazing as what he does is, he makes me feel good in that he's kind of like, I don't know. I just, you got to show me. Mm-hmm. He gets more signs than anyone else. He gets the, first of all, he gets the um, the angel visit. He seems to know it's an angel. Then he gets the his offering consumed. Then he gets a dry fleece. Then he gets a wet fleece. And now somehow God talks, talks to him and says, there's too many. We don't, we're not really told exactly how he gets like spoken to. But first he says, nope, 32,000 is too many. And then he gets told, nope, 10,000 is too many. And then he gets told, well, here's how we're going to sort them out. And he's still nervous. And God says, all right, well, here's what you're going to do. Go down into the camp and I'll give you, just go down there. And something special is going to happen. And so you guys can read it. It's a super cool thing. He goes down with his buddy. And they hear two guys over, they hear two people talking in their tents at night, their enemy. And one of them says to the other, behold, I dreamed a dream. A cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down, basically like a turtle. And the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand the camp of Midian. It's just like, I mean, how much more? I mean, you don't even have to paint by numbers at this point. It's it's already painted, and they just turned the light on. He's like, oh, okay, I see it now. But I think it's that, that once again, that humanistic flair that, you know what? God meets you where you're at. And you know what? Gideon Gideon needed the reassurance more than, you know, others. Some could take the word and just... You know, and go. We we've looked at it, you know, throughout where we've been in our readings that, you know, Abraham, you need to go. But along the way, they need that reassurance, and God is always there to give it to them, especially when they need it. But I think with with Gideon, he's he's more of, I like to say, just the, the everyday person that's just he needs it a little bit more often. So he continues to say, you know what, Lord, I, I need another sign. I think I, I think I need another one at this point. You know, and I think God is always willing to be there and to do that for them. Mm-hmm. Eric, well, you've mentioned, Eric, you've mentioned before that, um, and it's kind of drawn my attention to it, that like God will bring victory to the Israelites, but he kind of uses a different method each time. Like one time it's this, one time it's that, one time it's kill everybody, one time it's take the spoils, one time it's, you know what I mean? It's like there's yeah, no formula. Same. And I and I, I think of that 
as as an intelligent move on God's part, similar to saying your army is too big, if you take the Midianites with 32,000 men, you'll think you did it, right? right? So it's to me, it's like a reorientation where he's continually where he's continually making sure that his people turn to him to yeah. find out what to do in this moment. Because yeah. as I was reading this story, and I was thinking the same thing about Gideon, and and I same same thing as you, Eric. I have a high appreciation for how many questions Gideon asked. Like, okay, but okay, maybe 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 one more sign, maybe one more sign, because I I myself think of myself as far too timid in my faith. I keep wanting reassurance. Am I doing this right? Am I, can I, what am I, you know, what am I supposed to do next? But as I was reading the story, I was thinking of Zechariah who finds out that his wife is going to have a baby. And he says, well, how is this possible? Yeah. And his punishment. He's the father of John the Baptist. Yeah. And he's, and he's, he's punished for asking that question for not believing at first here. You know, and so his, he is struck mute until the child is born and named. Okay, then, you know, similar time frame, an angel goes to Mary, mother of Jesus, and says, you're going to have a baby. And she says, well, how is this possible? Right? They both, they both say the same thing. How is this possible? Yes and no. He says, I think Zechariah says, really? I mean, like, that, how is that even possible? And Mary's like, okay, how? Yeah, Mary, Mary says the same thing. Like, how is this possible? I, so Zechariah says, how is this possible? My wife and I are both old. Mary says, how is this possible? I've never lain with a man. And 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 yet one, and so this this tells me what, what I'm getting at is God knows the person. He knows the person he's talking to. So yeah, like yeah. we look, I look at all three of these situations. Zechariah asks a biological question. How is this possible? And he's punished for it. Like, you should have believed when I said it. Mary asked the same question. How is this biologically possible? And she is given reassurance. Gideon asks repeatedly for reassurance and is given it every time. And I think it's cool. I'm not complaining about this. I think it's cool because that's how well God knows us. Like God, God knows Gideon and his family so well that he tells Gideon by bull's age, which bull to go get from his father's herd. Like this is how well God knows us. He knows everything about us inside. And he also knows the details of our lives. And I, and he deals with each of us individually. And it's just really cool. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the lesson I get from it here is that it's perfectly fine to ask for reassurance, but the question then is, what are you going to do when you have that reassurance? There you go. Because you see Gideon, he's like, okay, I, you know, I mean, I can imagine if I'm think I'm hearing this voice in my head telling me go out with three hundred men and take on mm-hmm. thousands, I'd be yeah. like, is that God or is that me? Okay, God, you know, show me a sign, and he gets the sign. And he moves forward, whereas, of course, I mean, he gets the sign. You know, he asks for it twice. But he's like, okay, I'm sure. I want to be really, really sure. But it's like you can tell that the the attitude he has is like, if I get this sign, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, it's you not. Go. It's not. If I get this sign, I'm still gonna go. Mm, I don't know. You know. And so, you know, when you talk about Mary, and she's like, well, how is this po- You know, how, how is this possible? That's not like 
it's not like, no, this is impossible. This is like, well, how's it going to happen? Right. Cool. You know, right. how's it going to happen? <clears throat> yeah. And so I think it's to Matt's point that would it would not be it would be unwise to forget this, that every time Gideon gets a sign, he steps forward. See, the first sign is, how do I know you're with me? First of all, he's like, I think you're an angel. Let me make it. Let me make an offering. Boom. You know, it's burned up in fire. It's like, whoa, you're an angel. OK. And then and then the angel says, you need to you need to knock down these idols. And so instead of like, give me another sign before I step forward. No, he stepped forward and did it. And then it's like, go get all the armies. Like, uh, OK, so can I get a sign about like if I'm really supposed to do this? Yep. Really supposed to do this. OK. He gets the army together and then they're ready to attack. He's like, OK, we're here. And it doesn't say that he was nervous or asked for a sign specifically. The Lord just showed up to Karen's point. God hears us and knows who we are and said, hey, why don't you just go on down into the camp? I got something for you. And so he goes down there. And then again, he takes the next step. He gets together. Now, I marked this. I thought this was just it's important. In 715, as soon as he hears this sign of the two Midianites talking in their tent that, hey, look, this is Gideon. Now, I find it interesting that these Midianites, millions of them or thousands, we don't know. I think it was 120,000 we saw um, later that were that were uh, killed. But they know Gideon's name. I mean, he's not a nobody. And so they know his name. And this is the part I like in 15 as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. I think that's really important. Is he stopped and he worshipped. I think I would be tempted to just immediately say, all right, I'm going to do it. And it's worth noting the first thing he does is he stops and says, this is a God thing. And he worships. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know when we talk about worship. I don't. It's not like he probably had a big old service yeah, with music and, and and sacrifices. But that's just like, oh, you know, that could be as simple as thank you, God, thank you, Lord. You know, I think that that that's going to signify his worship as well. But he did. He stopped, and then they do their mm-hmm. battle, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and the battle is the battle is cool. So Gideon divides his men up, three hundred men to surround the camp. And like Eric said before, it doesn't say that any of them had swords. If they did, they weren't drawn. They were strapped right. to their side if they had them. Because in one hand, was it their left hand? They got a torch inside of a pitcher to keep it dark. In the other hand, they have a trumpet. And what they're going to do is they're going to, at, at, at Gideon's signal, they all blow their trumpets. They break the pitchers so that suddenly the camp is, I guess, fire and noise. And we don't get any indication that Gideon's men have to raise a finger because because the Midianite army turns on itself. Everybody just starts hacking away at the guy next to him. Yeah, to logistically, what this would sound like is you're asleep at night. You think that you're pretty much more or less running the everything. They're so afraid of you that they're living in caves. And all of a sudden... The night lights up, and my hunch is that it's like you're surrounded by lights. There are 300 of them, but now think about this. If you're military, you probably think there's probably one light for every 50, 100 guys, right? Because you're not going to give everybody a torch. That'd be silly. The rest of the people have swords. 
So in their mind, they see these lights and they think there's tens of thousands more than I see. And then the, the pottery. When the pottery smashes, it probably sounds like the armor and metal of tens of thousands of people. You just hear this crashing all around and you're probably thinking, oh my goodness, that is, that's got to be tens of thousands of people surrounding me. And then it just goes to chaos. Plus the trumpets. You know, they hear all this because Jellery woke me up last night. I fell asleep and she was waking me up as fell asleep in the living room chair. And she was just laughing because apparently I don't know what I was saying to her when she was trying to wake me up. But I was totally disoriented. I didn't know where I was and what was going on. And I imagine these guys wake up from their dead sleep and they're surrounded by screaming their fellow men and lights and this crashing and trumpets. And they are just like, what, what, what? And they just start swinging. Yeah. And so they <laughs> they're swinging on each other. They try to get away. These 300 men pursue. They manage to capture two princes with crazy names, Zeb and Oreb. I'd, like to, I'd really like to know how people come up with these names. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they find these. They find these two princes and kill them. And um, oh, so yeah, so with these three hundred guys, they're um, what is it? One hundred and twenty thousand men. That's yeah, how many cool. died. One hundred and twenty thousand men died in this thing, and and uh, because three hundred guys blew trumpets and 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 uh, held torches. Yeah, Amazing. That's in verse ten of chapter eight. Mm-hmm. So the tribe of Ephraim, they get a little upset that they weren't invited to be part of the fight. But Gideon is like, "What are you guys complaining about?" Because they got called in later. Like, what do you guys get complaining about? You guys, you got Oreb and Zeb. You took all the watering places as far as Bethbarah, Bethbarah, yeah, and the Jordan. And, and Ephraim kind of goes, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. We, did, we, we came out okay in this thing. And, that's, uh, such a, <clears throat> that's such a diplomatic answer. Yes. He's like, why didn't you call us when you went to fight? And they challenged him vigorously. But he says, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleams <laughs> of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Abiezer? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What am I able to do compared to you? That is so full of crap and so diplomatic. It's just marvelous. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> like you know, you... The way I looked at it, too, was, you know, when the battle goes well and you win... Then everybody comes out and, oh, I would have definitely went with you. Why didn't you call me? Right. But if yep. you us, it would have been, you know, why did you call me? We all got slaughtered out there. Yeah. It was like, come on. Do you remember, do you, do you guys remember from last week, the song of Deborah and Barak, where it lists off the tribes that actually went to war and fought yep. and the tribes that chose to stay home? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Ooh. yeah. Yep. Yeah. This is kind of like when the when the battle is mostly won, they're like, yeah, 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 us too, us too. How come we would like? It's like you could have signed on earlier, but anyways, my point. I, I agree with your points. Is that that Gideon is diplomatic? He's very diplomatic, and he moves on. And they capture a bunch of people. They push down the Midianites to where the Midianites never show up in this number again to to create these kind of problems. 
Then we end up with this, the beginning of this really other interesting um, situation where they start to say, well, why don't you be our king then? And Gideon turns them down. He says, no, I won't, I won't do it. In, in verse, it's a 823, uh, Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. And my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Which I think was pretty awesome. The The problem begins, though, in that when they say, hey, we'll make you a king. He says, no, I don't want to be a king, but tell you what, I'll take the earrings. And Gideon takes, the short version here, he takes the earrings and some of the other gold things and some of the um, really cool robes and so on that the Midianites had brought in. And he makes himself an ephod, like a priest. We went through this in Leviticus. He makes himself basically a robe and the trappings to be like a high priest or a priest. And he considers himself to be, because he had offered, remember he he had made an offering. It was accepted by God. He was told to, to sacrifice the bulls. He built a, uh, he built an altar. And here's the problem. And this is a problem that I know that I have, struggled with too. God says, go this far. And I'm like, hey, well, while we're at it, I'm just going to roll a little bit farther than you asked me to. That is a, as big a problem as not rolling when he asks us to. We see this show up with uh, King Saul later on. We see this show up in other places where God said, hey, I want you to do ABC, and then somebody's like, well, then I'll just go ahead and do D, E, F, and G, just because I can handle it. But they weren't asked to do that. And Gideon made this, he made an ephod, and it says, and all Israel whored after it, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Yeah. So, bummer. Now, through this, we're told they got 40 years of, of quiet. Mm-hmm. And uh, chapter 8 ends with Gideon's death. But then chapter 9, as soon as, as in fact, and as, soon as, as soon as Gideon dies, you can see the people start to turn. It says they started turning on the house of Gideon. And, Who's Jerubbabel at this point? So if the reader's reading mm-hmm. this, and like, what? Where did Gideon go? Who's Jerubbabel? Gideon was known as either Jerubbabel or Jerubbabel. That's what his yeah his dad had called him that after he had knocked down the altar and and uh, burned up the burned up the image back then. Well, Judge, uh, Judges nine then starts into uh, the story of one of of Gideon's sons then named Abimelech. Hey, can I ask can I ask a question before we change change to the next generation? Uh huh. Have any of you guys ever used like the fleece test thing? Like when you're trying to ask for God's advice or guidance in a situation, have any of you ever done that where you basically say, you know, give me a sign or give me this specific sign? Have you ever done that? Yeah, I would say I kind of ask God to just make things obvious to me because I'm dense. (laughs) That's a fact. (laughs) Thanks for the reassurance. (laughs) But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's times when, you know, you get that little tickle in the back of your head that, you know, do do something. And it's like, well, is this really what you want me to do, God? If it is, 
I'll do it, but man, I need you to make it obvious to me that this is really what you want, not just some idea that you gave me. And there have been times when I would say that the fleece showed up wet, you know, and there's other times when it seems like there's nothing. And so it just sort of fades away. Tracy, you know, this is this is mine. I'm going to try to make it super quick, but go to school entire time to get to get my doctorate and to be able to do to do um, medicine. And it got to the final crossing that final line and it was it was it was a challenge and it was it was super hard um i didn't do well my first time out and i was super super disappointed and you know i always pray before everything i do and i felt you know my prayer life was where it was supposed to be before i went in for this last hurdle didn't get it so i was super disappointed i was out on my morning walk where I usually listen to my Bible studies and, you know, pray and that kind of thing. And, you know, I was just like, God, I need a sign. I definitely need something. And it was always like, you know, if you could just, and maybe this is just how shallow I was being, but I was like, Lord, I just want to be out here on this walk in this County road. And I want to find, and this sounds crazy, but I want to find money. I need you to show me that that you're there with me, and I don't care if it's a penny, that's what I want to find, and it has to be real to me. So, needless to say, I went on the walk like two days in a row, nothing. I'm like, you know, maybe I'm going down the wrong path, I don't know. But I think I was probably at my lowest point, and kind of by myself off on this this county road or this, this country road, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to kneel down and pray right here where I'm at. And the minute I go to kneel down, there is a bright, shiny new penny right there. And I tell my wife it was just like that because I always look at like, okay, what is – I looked at the date and it was my birthday that it had been minted in. And I was like, you know what? That's all I need because you know what? I said, Lord, I don't care if it's a penny. And I remember putting it out there, and that's exactly what it was, minted the year of my birth, brand new, shining like it was just came on. And I tell Regina that's probably one of the defining moments for me to, you know, in my pursuit of my, you know, finishing up my doctorate and becoming a doctorate of nurse practitioning that that was like made it super real for me. So I said yes, but I want to answer that. Because I think this is important. I, I, I would I would assume that our listeners also have had struggles. They think, well, what do I do, God? You know, lead me in this thing. Where am I supposed to go? That's a pretty common human thing. And if we believe and we have faith that God is leading in our lives, we, we want to see it. And there are two occasions I can think of in my life with different responses than both of you guys have had. One was, where do I go after grad school? Do I take this job or do I, you know, pursue this other thing? And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I asked for guidance and I asked for guidance. I didn't see any signs. I remember I asked my grandfather, who I respect a lot. He was a lifetime uh, minister, Bible teacher, missionary. And he said, well, sometimes God just gives you a choice. And I was like, come on, I wanted to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And that never happened. I never even got the slightest nudge, not a penny, in one direction or another. 
and I had to just make the call. I, there was another situation where I was one. I was thinking about quitting a job, and um, Karen's familiar with this because she has the she has the shoulder bag. Um, <laughs> and I was considering quitting my job, and I I, I had this prayer. It's like God, if I find this journal, because I had lost my quote little adventure journal. It was a little leather journal. And I couldn't find it. And I'm like, well, if I find that journal, then I'll know that that's my sign to go off on this adventure to quit my job. And I prayed 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 and prayed about it. No sign. Did not find the journal. Finally, I'm like, okay, I got to make a decision. I got to do this. And I turned in my resignation and I picked up my, um, it's a leather satchel. And um, I picked it up and I felt something weird in it. I'm like, well, what's, what is that? There's an inside <laughs> zippered pocket that inside that zippered pocket was this leather journal. I had been carrying it every day for several months and didn't know I had it with me every day. I didn't find that journal until the, until minutes after I had turned in my resignation. And so to me, it wasn't a sign which way to go. It was a sign to me. Yeah, you did the right thing, which although I appreciated that I really did. It was also not literally what I had been asking for. So to, to Karen's point and the, what we've made before, God doesn't answer us all the same way. For me, it was a sign after I wanted the sign. For Tracy, it was a sign that he needed when he needed it. And for because God knows us. And we don't get always the thing that we expect, almost, dare I say, never the thing we expect. I don't think Gideon <laughs> expected to meet an angel and to lead an army of 300 people. I'm pretty sure that was not on his, like, wonder how God's going to do this. And and yet there it is. Yeah, for me, things don't doesn't really come in like, like this uh, sign, but I start to see the path laid out. You know, and it's like, okay, that's that's the path. That's the way to go, you know. But, yeah, not well, like some miraculous. Oh, absolutely. I've about this for a long time, yeah, I guess I could share that here. I mean, just the idea. I've I've talked about doing this podcast for a long time. Uh, we're almost we're almost into a year's worth of recording now. But before that, I thought about it. I thought about it. But I was like, God, if you want this thing to happen, you got to let me know how to do it because I don't know the first thing about this stuff. I don't know how to I don't know how to record this stuff. I don't know how to post this stuff. I don't know how to edit this stuff. I don't know anything about this, and. Uh, things just started. I, I think I don't know. Facebook must be listening or something, because you, I started. Usually, I think the answer to that is usually. Yeah, but I start seeing ads for um, recording equipment. I'm like, well, okay, let's look into this company. I find this company, and for a couple hundred bucks, I find a I find a deal for four mic four four microphones, uh, a small little a small little soundboard. Uh, it's like everything you need, like you know, my, and oh, headphones. I mean, everything. And I'm like, I can't believe the price on this thing. I and I happened, even. and I happened to have, I happened to have the money, and I went, okay, God, I've been waiting for something that I wanted to spend this on, and here, okay, I'm gonna step out. I'm gonna buy this stuff. I still don't know how I'm gonna record with it, but we're gonna find out. Then I find that, oh, hey, look, there's a, there's a free, there's a free program that you can get on your computer and you can record on it and you can edit on it and it's not going to cost you a dime. <laughs> okay, I download it onto the computer. 
And I, and I, so I initially talked to Eric and Karen. I'm like, you guys want to do this thing? And they're like, yeah, we need to do this thing. And Eric says, yeah, and you need to bring Tracy. And I was like, okay, let's do this thing. Let's, let's try it. Let's start it. And it's, it's just been awesome. I cannot believe, I just cannot believe how well I was able to step into this. I mean, I think the podcast is pretty good, you know, but, um, yeah, from going to having absolutely no idea how to do any of this to now having a, what are we, what episode are we on now? I mean, we're getting close to 50 episodes and it's almost a year's worth of recording. And, um, that's, that's just all God saying, okay, Matt, take this step, Matt. Now take this step, take this step. And, um, here we are. So, so yeah, I mean, that was definitely a fleece that I put out there. I was like, God, show me how to do this. If you want it done, you got to show me how to do it. And, and he did. Um, cause I've, I've taken, I know Eric has taken classes in podcasting. I haven't, you know, I've listened to it, some advice from Eric and stuff, but for the most part, this has been me sitting down at the computer and, and playing around with it and, and getting it done. And yeah, it's just been, it's been pretty cool. So. Yeah. And to, to that point is, that I've been reading parallel to this, a book, uh, it's called Patriarchs and Prophets. And one of the points that the author there, Ellen White, mentions is that God doesn't call the people who are necessarily equipped for success. He calls people with character that he knows he can work with and he gives them success. Because I mean, to this point, I, I have experience in audio and recording and I've got I've got all kinds of stuff like this, but God didn't call me to that. He called Matt to that. And he set Matt up for success in this. Because if you were to do a survey, if people were to say, well, you know, let's, let's do interviews and who's more qualified to do this, I would be more qualified, frankly. But God didn't call me. He called Matt. And he said, I'm going to call Matt to do this and I'm going to outfit Matt with what he needs. And that's how God works. So if you're thinking, if you're out there as a listener and you're thinking, well, I don't have the tools to do such and such. That is, sorry, you're limiting God. He can supply that. He can, if he's calling you to do X, Y, or Z, he will give you the tools to make that happen. This isn't about what tools you have or what skills you have. If God is calling you to a thing, he will make it happen. I, I actually would take that a step further. I agree with everything you just said. But if we look <clears throat> earlier in the story of Gideon, Gideon had a pretty good turnout when he called for an army. And God's response was, I'm going to take away your human trappings of success yep. because otherwise you won't see my action in it and you'll take the credit for yourself. Yep. So. Like there are, I think that there are times when, like, like exactly what you were saying, Eric, you know, God called Matt to do this. This was Matt's thing. Matt was not equipped. He didn't have the know-how. He didn't have the, you know, whatever. It's still his calling mm -hmm. and God equips him. But I think there are other times where too much human equipage, <laughs> too much competence actually becomes a problem and God will take it away. Absolutely. Like he'll take it away so that the person in that situation will be forced to look away from their own skill and just look to God. And that there's a Bible text that says it in, in human weakness is where God's strength shows. So yep. 
anyway, I just, I was just curious. I didn't mean to like take over 20 minutes of the talk here, but I just, I was just curious if you guys had ever done like the fleece test thing like that. And, and if, if you, how you felt about, you know, testing God's will and asking for direction. I was just curious. You know, but I think that this is the whole premise of what Matt brought us all together to do yes. is that, you know what, we're, none of us are like how we use in our intro Bible scholars. It's just our day to day reckoning on our interpretation of the word and how it's affected us in general. Yeah. And I think see, though, that, that we study. We don't we don't neglect opportunities to to read commentaries, to read different versions, to to read parallel things. We're we're taking every opportunity that we have, but none of us have been to what is it, theology school? What's the name of that? Seminary. There you go. Can't even say the word. <laughs> <laughs> Not only do I know what it is, <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> You know, and I think to Karen's point that, you know, what if it was up to, you know, an expert to do this and like you were saying and qualifications, then, you know what, you know, say if, if, um, you know, Matt didn't do this and Eric wanted to do it, would Eric get lost somewhere in the technical aspect of it where the focus might not be there, you know, because that is his strength and his, you know, maybe a passion that, you know what? Matt took this on as a heartfelt mission that was between him and God. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so t- that makes actually, I think, a pretty decent segue into chapters 9 and 10, which go together, essentially. Because what we've been talking about is Gideon acting on God's leading, not his own ambition. Mm-hmm. And chapters 9 and 10 are basically a story of a sheer train wreck of what happens when humans show up and say, I have a plan. I am going to take this on myself. And y'all can read it for yourselves. But it's 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 a train wreck. Abimelech, you know, shows up and he's got ambitions to to rule everything. And there's an interesting parable that's left. Basically, Abimelech kills 79, no, 69 of his brothers. And one escapes and his brother that, that escapes says it's this an interesting parable in chapter 9 verses um, 8 through roughly 15, saying, hey, you asked somebody good, Gideon, to be your ruler, and he turned you down. And so you just kept going down the ladder. And he says, well, first you asked the olive tree, and the olive tree said no. Then you asked the fig tree. Fig tree said no. Fig tree's smaller. You know, olive tree's like, that's the best. Then it goes to the fig tree, which is a good tree, cool, but not as awesome as the olive tree in their culture. Then it goes to the vine. Not really even a tree, right? It's cool, but it's not... And then they're like, nope, the vine won't do it. And they're like, okay, we'll go to the bramble, the thorns. Would you rule over us? And the bramble's like, sure, I'll take it. And essentially what he's saying is, you kept lowering the bar until someone who until someone would accept it. And that's Abimelech. And he essentially says, if that's if that's a if that's a God thing, it'll turn out awesome. If it's not, Abimelech, you get what you deserve, and you people from Shechem, you're gonna get what you deserve. And the, the rest of the verses are the spelling out. You can read it. It's kind of long, but it's pretty, how uh, should we say, uh, vivid mm-hmm. of the disaster mm-hmm. that happens when someone, in this case Abimelech, takes things on in their own. I mean, it's, it's the most double-cross, triple-cross, backstabbing, 
everybody dies, you know, a Sicilian uh, tragedy that you could imagine. It's, it turns out to be a disaster. Also, could I just interject one female perspective? Gideon, <laughs> calm down. How many wives and children do you need? <laughs> Fewer much serve them all better. Chill. Ugh. Well, <laughs> it's not as bad as Solomon. You know, oh, Solomon oh. either. What was that, Eric? I said it didn't work out for Solomon or David either. No. no. What's the moral of the story? Women are bad. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's the one. You don't know. We're recording this remotely. That's why Matt feels brave to say that. <laughs> she can't smack me. <laughs> but my wife listens to this, so I'm going to have to keep my guard up. <laughs> I'm texting her. That's it. I'm texting her. <laughs> no, I suppose the real message here is men can't handle women. <laughs> women are far too much for us to be able to deal with and and uh we should be we should proceed with caution. <laughs> oh boy. Oh. Karen went silent. Mhm. <laughs> well, the right this, this story she is, is. <laughs> the whole story of chapters 9 and 10 are what happens and I don't think it takes a genius to figure out this is what their local politics do. When they have abandoned morals and they just go with um, who's the most aggressive and who's the most Machiavellian and they abandon God and his leading and they just go it on their own and everybody suffers. Yeah, it's like Abimelech's like, I want to lead. And then this other guy comes on. What was his name? Gaal. 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 He's like, I want to lead. And it starts fighting and people get burned up in towers. And, and uh, yeah, it's just ugly yes. to the point where uh, basically it ends with Abimelech getting a rock dropped on his head by a woman, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> gets a rock dropped on his head. And he, here's <laughs> I should be laughing at the demise of a guy getting a rock dropped on his head. But he's like, I don't want it said that I got killed by a woman. So he grabs his armor and says, you yeah. run me through with my sword so that nobody could say I got killed by a woman. And here yeah. we are reading it, knowing that he got killed by a woman. So that's the irony yeah. right there. It's like, yeah. dude, you, you lose <laughs> your your last ditch effort to save your fame and it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, chapter 10 we get a quick rundown of a couple of judges. We get Tola, who literally gets two verses. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, my wife just came in and smacked me. She, Karen did text her. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> but I have a question for you. Just throwing yeah. it out there, because I was thinking of this. But a, in 53, but a certain woman. So I thought, well, how, how heavy is a millstone? Mm. How heavy do you think a millstone is? Well, there were different sides to it. An upper millstone. I wondered what that was. That's the well, part. That, there's the base. That's the huge stone. Oh, and you the one that the, rolls. The one that rolls around. There's the yeah. circular kind. There's like a mortar and pestle kind. So we don't know. What What is it? Did you look it up, Tracy? But to crush somebody's skull, they said anywhere between a hundred pounds and a thousand pounds. 
Okay, well, really, she managed to lift it up and heave it That was a pretty over. strong woman that even 100 pounds is, that's a circular stone. That's going to be hard to, to manage to pick up and drop on somebody's head. She was determined. She was determined. Mm-hmm. Or she was a pretty big, strong woman. No, no, uh, no weaklings in the Israelites. <laughs> well, no, they like putting spikes through people's heads and dropping millstones on them. Yeah. <laughs> Better come yeah. back. Yeah, probably a whole lot less of guys like Matt making fun of women like Karen in the in the Israelite <laughs> community. <laughs> no. so, okay, so chapter ten, we get we get two verses of of a man named Tola. We literally, I mean, we get two verses. We get his that he was a man from Issachar and he judged for twenty three years. Uh, apparently, nothing really happened during his time. We get. Uh, another one, Jair. We only get a couple of verses again. He was a Gileadite. He was a judge for 22 years. We're told that he had 30 sons and 30 donkeys and 30 towns. And that's the extent of what we know about Jair. But then it, the, the, our reading ends with Israel getting oppressed again. Because it sounds like Israel turns to pretty much every god in the area. That's like, oh, that one sounds cool. Let's worship him. Oh, hey, that one sounds cool. Let's worship him. And uh, like, it's like everything, every every distraction that can possibly come upon them, they take it. It's like, let's go. And uh, verse fourteen is an interesting thing that that's a little unique. Is that they they cry out to God, which happens over and over and over, and God says to them. Go and cry out to the gods you've chosen them. Mm-hmm. That you've chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, let them save you. And I think that there's a thing to where if if we lean on a crutch, and this kind of echoes what Karen had said earlier, if we lean on a thing, God and his, he's always trying to reach us. Not punish us, but to reach us. He will cut off that crutch. And then we realize, oh, that thing that I was leaning on, that person, that relationship, that skill, that knowledge, that money, you name it, he'll say, well, if you're trusting in that instead of me, maybe you need to be reminded that that's not the place to trust. And that gets removed from us. And we find ourselves in, we, I guess you should say, we've always been in peril. We thought that that crutch we had was going to save us. And God in his mercy is like, no, that was actually never a very good plan. Let me take it away from you so that you see how much you need me, not the thing that you were using instead of me. And there's a beauty to this. Like, to me, there's a balance to this that's just gorgeous because these are the same skills and abilities that God gives us. Sometimes we're born with it genetically, but we still have to use it and capitalize it and build it into something. Sometimes it's a spiritual gift and it definitely comes from the Holy Spirit. And yet, when it comes right down to it, the crook of a finger, and we are, and it's gone. Like, we're utterly reliant on God. If that's what we need, like, if that's what we need is to be stripped down so that we just turn to him, and and I I got nothing. I don't have any tools. Help. Sounds like the year 2020. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah, we've yeah. said that over and over here, though, how the, how the year has really been, just been breaking breaking us down and making us more more reliant on God, giving us better, more opportunity to realize our dependence on God and to turn to Him. And um, 
you know, if, if our readings have been any indication, I mean, I think we can say it's because the world has been turning away from God and God is saying, just giving us a glimpse of, well, this is what it looks like without me. And uh, mm-hmm. you're not going to like it. Yeah. Well, Israel is oppressed again. They get given over to the Philistines and the Ammonites. See, it sounds like they spend, the Philistines and the Ammonites, they're spending like 18 years on the east side of the Jordan. And they encroach into Benjamin and Ephraim. And, um, we, yeah, we called out to God. And they're, sort of, they're just kind of there, you know. And, and um, Israel finally says, do whatever you want to us, just deliver us. And they put away the God, all the foreign gods. And this was an interesting verse to me. It says, uh, God's soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Yeah. So, you know, even when God pulls away and disciplines us by, by just showing us, by showing us just what, uh, our, our desire to be away from him is. He, it's not like he does it with glee. He's not doing it with, with joy. He, it hurts. It hurts him. And when you talk about your soul, I mean, you're talking like the very inner being, the, the, the very core of what makes you, you. And when, when it says that he couldn't, his soul couldn't endure it anymore. It's like everything about God was like groaning for Israel. It's like, I just, I can't take it anymore. And we're left with a cliffhanger where the Ammonites and the Israelites are preparing to, to face off. And the last verse uh, begins with, it says, um, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over the inhabitants of Gilead. So that's where we're left off we, with a with a fun little cliffhanger. What's going to happen next? And, and we'll get to find that out in our reading next week. Any final thoughts? Not a one. Well, let's go through it. So where do we want to go to through next week? Do we want to finish the story of uh, Samson and Delilah and go all the way through 16? You bet. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Good stories. So we will do that. We will pick up 11. And we will read through chapter 16. Yes, Samson and Delilah, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's going to be really cool. There's some, uh, there's some interesting parallels there between, between Samson and, and Christ that a lot of people don't always pick up. While you're waiting for that, you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can write in and tell me just what an awful person I am for making fun of Karen every week. Always. <laughs> I do it because I'm afraid of her people. <laughs> Karen has long arms, as you can see. They stretched all the way and had Matt uh, thumped <laughs> in his house with just a mere text. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us on Facebook. Please be sure you share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors, and and uh, you know leave, leave a leave the podcast note the the, the write it down. For, uh, for Santa so that he can listen to. Uh, be sure you subscribe to us each and every week so that you can hear us. And we will look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Let's see, where's that red button? There it is. <laughs>